Um, I'm kind of uh, nervous about this message today, just so you know. I'm going to be just honest about it. Um, I got to ask, is there somebody back there? Hey, um, could you get me a chair that goes with this? And I'll explain why later here. Could somebody do that for me? I'm sorry, Donnie, to ask for that. Uh, that would be great. Um, mostly because I'm old. And um, you're going to hear more about that. Uh, I want to start out by reading three verses. Don't throw it at me, Donnie. I know. My bad. I forgot. <laughs> I'm already injured. <laughs> I want to start out by reading three verses and uh, from the scriptures. And the first one is Psalm 90, 12. It says this, teach us to number our days aright and recognize how few they are and to use wisely all the time that we have. From James chapter four, verse 14, what is your life? Your life is like the fog in the morning. It's here a little while, then it's gone. Psalm 103, 15, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. You could summarize those three verses in four words. Time is ticking away. Um, the Rolling Stones, only about 10% of us know who that was, but they were a rock band, and that means they had it wrong. Time is not on our side, not at all. There was a man who was sick, very sick. In fact, he had not felt well for quite some time. Uh, like most of us men, uh, he refused to go to the doctor uh, and still complained often that he was not feeling well. Um, finally, his wife was able to convince him to set up an appointment, which he did, and a few days later, he made his way to the clinic. Uh, he arrived early. They gave him a clipboard. If you know the drill, they gave him a clipboard and asked him to fill out and write out his medical history. They asked him a variety of questions regarding diet and exercise and habits. They listened to his heart. They took blood samples, a, a urine specimen, and some x-rays, and at the end of the day, the receptionist said that they would call him, they would call him as soon as all the results were in. Well, the call came quicker than he expected, and he, uh, just a couple of days, and he arrived, he, he didn't have to wait in line, he didn't have to wait in the waiting room, they took him right straight into a room, and on the heels of the door shutting it open, and the doctor came in, and when he saw the doctor's face, he knew, he knew it wasn't good news. And the doctor said, Bob, I'm gonna be straight with you. Uh, I'm afraid it's not good. In fact, Bob, I've got bad news for you and I have worse news for you. To which Bob responded, who, who needs that? What do you mean bad news and worse news? What's the bad news? And the doctor looked at him and said, Bob, you've only got 24 hours to live. And Bob began to Weep, he was inconsolable. When he was finally able to regain his composure and pull himself together, he looked up with tears running down his face and he said, Doc, Doc, what could possibly be worse than that? And the doctor said, well, we, we tried to call you yesterday. <laughs> Sometimes life just happens. A lot of times when I have the opportunity to speak, I like to share this thing we call the big idea, kind of a, a theme or a statement that you can kind of hold in the back of your minds as kind of a backdrop of what we're gonna be talking about. And 
Today I'm gonna do a little bit different. The big idea I wanna share with you is actually a quote from famed author Agatha Christie. Now Agatha Christie was born in 1890. Some of you know this probably. Um, she became and still remains the best-selling novelist of all time. In fact, she is best known for her 66 detective novels and for her 14 short story collection. But she also authored a play, which is still the longest play, running play in history, called The Mousetrap. Her books, get this, her books sold over a billion copies. That's in English. But they also sold another billion in translation. Now, one of the things that's quite unusual if you study her life is, is this, is that she was homeschooled as a child. That, that wasn't really in, it wasn't really vogue. We have a lot of that now. But she was homeschooled, and her primary teacher, her primary teacher was her father, who was an American. Now, Agatha's mother, Clara, loved reading books to Agatha. At that time, she was the only child. Uh, she would have two siblings later. Um, but she, she didn't want um, Agatha to read until she was eight. Yet, this is so amazing, Agatha got bored and taught herself how to read by age five. Her life was both fascinating and mysterious. We know a lot about her, and then at the same time, very little. Um, at age 36, when she just really started to hit her career, peak of her career, she disappeared. I mean, like, it, she fell off the planet. It was front page news all over the world. Well, 11 days later, they found her alive at a spa. Um, things were kept really quiet, and after a while, the husband simply said that she had had a complete nervous breakdown, and that's all we heard of it. Decades later, an, an in-depth analysis of Agatha's novel suggests that this much-loved author suffered from Alzheimer's for many years. Others have said that she struggled with anxiety and deep bouts of depression. And because of that, her life was very hard, and she tended to be a recluse, a pull away. But later in her years, I want you to hear, and this is the big idea that she shares, I want you to hear what she wrote. I like living. I have sometimes been wildly, despairingly, acutely miserable, racked with sorrow, but through it all, I still know quite certainly that just to be alive is a grand thing. And I love those seven words. Just to be alive is a grand thing. That's the big idea. I want to hitch up to that truck with this trailer, which is going to seem very different from the big idea. You'll understand in a little bit. And... We're gonna backdoor this thing of life and its alternative. This is what the writer of Ecclesiastes wrote. It is better to go to a house of feasting than to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone, and the living should take this to heart. I was sharing this, this verse with my wife, and she goes, Sorry, are you gonna tell them? Yep. We're all gonna die, the end, let's pray. Um, no, it's not that morbid. Um, but I came across, I like this verse, and you're gonna see why, um, but I came across a version uh, of, the, of the scriptures, I don't know about you, I like to read a verse or two, sometimes a chapter, in maybe four or five or six different 
versions. And the reason I like that is because if you do that, you not only get the content, you kind of get a 363D look at the emotion of the verse. And I like how this is read in this unique rendition. It says this, you may enjoy a party, but it is better for you to go to a funeral. There you will think about the day when you will die. We all die. We will all die in the end. It's good to remember that. It's better to be sad than to be happy. We learn more about ourselves when we are sad. And then this last sentence. A wise person, a wise person thinks about death. So let me just pray for us real quick. Father, it's my prayer that today we would ask um, not for just inspiration, but that we would ask for transformation. It's my desire, Father, that we wouldn't just get yes and no answers, but we would deep, uh, jump into essays about the meaning and purpose of life. I pray that we would take steps today to become the man or woman that you've created us to be. I pray that the consolations of your love be especially um, apparent to us. I pray that we would be full of fresh assurance that we are loved deeply by you. And I pray too, Father, that we would realize in a deeper way today that we are cherished, that we are known, that we are forgiven, and that we are planned for. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. This summer, we traveled more than we usually do. And um, took in just uh, some real, I went to my 45th high school uh, reunion. That was a good time. We uh, went to the church and, and did a service that we started our ministry in um, 43 years ago. Uh, we uh, took two different vacations with our twins. We have identical twin sons. We were with Jake for a week and his family. Uh, they have five kids. We were with Josh for a week and his four kids. Um, and ironically, ironically, something happened this summer that was unusual for me. It was this. Both of my sons, when I was with them, pulled me aside so they could talk to me because they wanted to ask me a question. And they didn't orchestrate it. They didn't even know each of them was doing it. But they both asked me this question. Dad, what's it like to be old? Now, they, they didn't ask me about what's it like to be older. That's a very different subject entirely. But they wanted to know what's it like to be old. And both of them said, we remember you were just, you were just big and loud and energetic. And we're, we're seeing changes. Up to that point in my life, I'd say for the majority of my life, there had always been this gap between older and old. To me, old was always 15 years older than I was at any given point. And for much of my life, just so you know, I would push this idea of old to the back of a line. But here's what's been happening in the last few years since I've been here. My body has made it clear that the gap is closing between older and old. And um, it's becoming obvious to me. And things have changed. Look at this slide. I love this slide. Somebody gave it to me. I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, this is 1979. I was married already for a year. Uh, look at this. Uh, I wish my friend um, David Allen was here because I wanted to put 
long hair, longing for hair. Um, and you can see how things have really changed. And this is my list too. I don't know if any of that's changed for you. If you're here and you're a teenager, it's common. It'll come. But things have changed. You might have noticed, uh, I had several people who noticed that the last seven weeks I had a cast on my hand. Many have asked what happened. I made up all kinds of stories. Um, for the most part, I've been silent on the matter. I haven't said much, but here's the deal. We were at a parade, Yvonne and I, and we were watching this parade, and this truck backfired, and then there was this horse-drawn carriage full of orphans in the eye. It's a big deal. I uh, don't like to talk about it, but uh, it's kind of humbling. Um, that's the story I told. That's not the right one. The tr somebody else said the right one probably is you were at a parade, and then you... They were throwing candy away on the fire truck and then you were pushing kids that got hurt. Um, that'd be probably more like the story. But the truth is, I was mowing my backyard and I fell. Now there's a pitch, there's a pitch there, but I turned, it was after Saturday night service and I wanted to get everything done because my wife was coming home on Sunday. She was out with her family, uh, one of our families in Seattle. And I just turned quickly and I fell. And uh, I hurt my hand. In fact, it hurt enough that I passed out, all right? And then I got up and I realized, I know what's gonna happen if I don't, if I don't finish this. Yvonne's gonna say, what, you got hurt and you didn't finish mowing the lawn. Um, that's how it works in my house sometimes. And so uh, I finished the backyard. I drove to the airport after church here about seven weeks ago. And I showed my wife my hand and the hand was very swollen, it looked like I had the elephant disease. And um, my wife, my wife says to me, honey, you're falling apart. And I'm just like, what? And she goes, she goes, and I can't take you back, I lost the receipt, you, you're falling apart. And then she said this, this is a true story. Then she says to me, every time I leave, you get hurt. And there was this pause, and I could tell right away by, by her eyes that she had this epiphany. And what I realize now is that's unsettling because now she travels more often and is gone for a longer period of time. I'm a dead man. That's what that probably means. All right? Now, it sounds like kind of a strategy that she's got in place. But here's the deal. In all honesty, I, things have changed for me. Things have really, really changed for me. <laughs> Just last night, I got up, and I, apparently in slow-mo speed, she says, are you gonna be okay? Did you have a hard time sitting up? And I'm like, just push me down the steps. I was, you know, that's just where we're at. But I am more than any time in my life, I am mindful of the matter of time. I am mindful of the matter of time. A few years back, there was a, this illustration that kind of went viral on social media, and some of you probably saw it. It was called The Theory of a Thousand Marbles. And the premise was simply this, this, that the average person lives to be 75. And yet, some people live longer, some people live less. But on the average, that's the average lifespan. And a guy got to thinking about that, and he thought, well, if there's 75 is their age, that's 52 weeks a year. If you multiply it, that's 3,900 weeks that the average person lives. And he said, and Saturday's kind of a down day for everybody. So that means there's 3,900 Saturdays that we're gifted to from birth. 
Now, the average male Minnesotan lives to be 78.6, so that my numbers come out to 4,082 weeks. And if that be true, I only have 775 Saturdays left. And my calculations tell me that right now at this point, I'm 82% dead. <laughs> if, if I was in the grave, if, if there was such a thing as a, a gravometer, I would be... I, I wouldn't have just one foot in the grave. I'd have two. They'd be firmly planted, and I'd be trying to peer over the edge of the grave. That's where I'm at in this thing called life. It's a reality. The Grim Reaper's already locked in my address on his GPS. It's just, it's just a matter of time. And some of you say, well, where are you going with this? Just hold on with me for a little bit more. This matter of getting older, I think most of us, if we're honest, we, 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 we push it, we push it back. Back to the line where we can't see it. And yet the scripture says, there in Ecclesiastes, the wise man thinks about death. I had somebody one time tell me, well, Greg, you're kind of, Greg, you're kind of morbid. In the work that I do, I'm around death. I grew up in the parsonage. It was just, an, it was there front and center. We don't like to talk about it. We avoid the subject altogether. We ignore the topic. We just go on our lives and we push it back here until the phone rings. Yvonne and I had a phone ring in July. And her name was Christy. And she passed away. It was supposed to be a routine surgery, outpatient procedure, a success rate of 99%. Confident of the outcome, the only person there with Christy was her husband, Ian, who prayed with her, kissed her as they rolled her into surgery. They got everything done. It went well, except they went to start the heart, and the heart would not respond. The doctor, one of the best at this procedure, told Ian, something's not right. We're, I, I, he stayed 24 hours. And he said, Ian, there's nothing you can do. I'll do what I can. Come back tomorrow morning. And when he came back the next morning, he said, she's, she's gone. She, she never woke up. Ian and I are good friends. We served in a ministry together, a previous ministry. Christy's one of my wife's best friends. She took it really hard. We drove 900 miles to Greeley, Colorado, straight through to be there for the memorial service. We didn't tell anybody it was coming, and, um, but somebody told the pastor, who's another friend of mine, that to tell Ian that Yvonne and I were there. He immediately asked us to join the family. And when we walked in, we hugged him and just wept. Christine was just 48 years old. Her husband, or her, her oldest son got married this weekend. Several people spoke at this memorial service. And um, the one that might surprise you is her husband, Ian, did the message at his wife's funeral. I, I don't know how he did it. I don't think I could do it. 
He had to step back several times. But he gave a God-honoring, life-honoring testimony about how good God had been to them. They had 25 years. But there was one statement that I absolutely loved in the service, and it was this phrase, this phrase. The guy who opened up the memorial service said this, we are here to celebrate the life of a person who celebrated life. What a, what a great statement. What a fitting tribute to how Christie lived. And the question I want to ask you is simply this, do you celebrate life? Do you celebrate life? If you passed away, could that, could that be said of you? And that's what I want to encourage you to do in the next few minutes that we have, is today and every day, every day to celebrate the gift of life. Do, this is a busy, noisy, fast-paced, get-things-done kind of culture that we live in that pushes aside the stuff that matters until it's gone. Do you stop and smell the roses? Do you stop to take in a sunset? Do you stop when those moments with family and people that you love and there's a great deal of laughter, do you stop and kind of take a mental Kodak shot of that moment? Because sometimes I think we don't. I would even say we don't often as we should. There's this guy, his name was Steve. And Steve, he was, when he was just 17 years old, this is amazing, it's amazing. He was 17 years old and he came across a statement somewhere that went something like this. If you live each day as if it was your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. It made such an impression on him that for the next 33 years, every morning that he got up, he'd repeat that mantra to himself. In fact, he kind of changed it and it said this, if today were, he said it this way, if today were the last day of my life, what I want to do, what I'm about to do today. I have a friend, I have a friend, and they had a really intense week and they were really frustrated and I shared with them that line and they said, no, I'd quit. I'd do something different, I'd walk away. You ever have those kind of days? Made me laugh. But he said that whenever the answer had been no, so would you do this if it was the last day of your life? If I did for too many days in a row, I knew that something needed to change. And then he said this, listen to this line, one of the most important tools I have ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life was to remember that I will be dead soon. Steve went on to tell the story that one day he went to the hospital because he was diagnosed with cancer and he was there early in the day, and it clearly showed a tumor on his pancreas. Do you know if you get a tumor on his, your pancreas, almost synonymous with that is wave goodbye because you're going to die. He said, I didn't even know what a pancreas was. The news wasn't good. In fact, the doctors told him that this was almost certainly a type of cancer that is incurable, that he should expect to live no more than three to six months. Dead man walking. 
They advise him to go home and to take care of his affairs, which is the doctor's code for say, you're goner. He said, I realized right away, I meant to tell that now I had to try to tell my kids everything I thought I would be able to tell them over the next decade, but now I've got to crunch it down and say everything I can in the next few months. It means to make sure everything is buttoned up so there'll be easy transition when you're gone for your family. It means to say your goodbyes. And then this is what he said. I lived with that diagnosis all day. Later that evening, I had a biopsy where they stuck an endoscope down my throat, through my stomach, into my intestines, put a needle into my pancreas, and got a few cells from the tumor. I was sedated, but my wife, who was there, told me that when they viewed the cells under a microscope, the doctor started crying because it turned out to be a very rare form of pancreatic cancer that is curable by surgery. I had the surgery, and, and now I'm fine. Steve, some of you know him as Steve Jobs, founder of Apple and Pixar, survived cancer in 2003. That little thing I shared about him is a message that he gave at Stanford University on commencement day. And I tell you what, his, his, if you know the story, the cancer came back and he died eight years later on October 5th, 2011. I belong to a very special group here at this church. And um, we were supposed to meet in my office every other Thursday, but summer's been very hard, so we haven't met quite as often as we all would like. Um, but we'll be getting back together soon. Great guys, I am better when I'm around them. I value things that matter more when I'm around them. We call ourselves the Lazarus Group, and the only thing you need to join us is to be almost dead. That's a requirement. All of us survived a near-death experience. And it started with a guy by the name of Al Watts and me. And we've had several join us since. And we got our name, if you want to know where it's from, it's from John 11. There was a guy by the name of Nicodemus. He had a sister Mary, Mary and Martha, if you remember the story. And uh, Lazarus gets sick, and so uh, Martha sends a note to Jesus. Yo, uh, our brother's sick, we need you to come and heal him. And Jesus basically tells the person sending the message, uh, no, I've got things to do here first. Well, finally, he makes his way down to where uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha are, but it's too late. Lazarus is dead. Mary comes out. She's broken. She's, she's weeping. Why didn't you come? Martha has a chip on the shoulder. She goes, yo, you been here? He'd be here. He's dead because of you. And there's some dialogue there in John 11. But what happens is Jesus says, roll away the stone. And the people say, no, 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 he's, he's been dead for a few days. He's not alive and he stinks. And Jesus said, roll away the stone. And then Jesus calls out Lazarus and he comes out alive with a second chance. And that's what we call our group, the Lazarus Group. Before a medical episode, all of us thought of death simply as a purely intellectual concept. You know what I'm saying? Some of you have been there. Yeah, I will die someday, sometime, there and then, back, you know, after sometime. So I'm not going to worry about it. Steve Jobs says this. 
No one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to have to die to get there. <laughs> but he says, yet death is the destination that we all have in common. No one escapes it. One man said, don't take life too seriously. You'll never get out of it alive. <laughs> I like that. Another said, on a long enough timeline, the survival rate for everyone drops right down to zero. And it's true. But I want you to hear what Steve Jobs said to these graduating seniors because it's interesting how it falls right in line with what Scripture has to say. He said this, death is very likely the single best invention of life. It is life's change agent. It clears out the old to make way for the new. Went on to say, right now the new is you. But someday, not too long from now, but sooner than you think, you will gradually become old and be cleared away. And he said, sorry to be so dramatic, but it is quite true. Hence, the time, the clock is ticking. So I want to close with just three thoughts. Number one, what is your truth nor true north? What is your true north? And you might say, what's the true north? The true north really is what matters to you. What has significant value in and for your life? It's, the true north is like an internal compass that guides you through life. It, it represents who you are as a human being at your deepest level. It's your orientation point, your fixed reference point in a spinning world that helps you keep balance and stay on track. And again, it's based on what is most important to you, your most cherished values, your passions, your motivations, the sources of satisfaction in your life. One man said this, throughout life, one does not miss any chance to hold on to the things that are really precious if one is truly wise. And the problem is, we know that, but we still push it back. Sometimes in our busyness, our exhaustion and fatigue, as a result of the noise and the voices that clamor daily, incessantly for our attention, we lose focus and we lose perspective. I love this verse, because if, you, if you're wondering, what is the true north? And what's the positive thing in this message? It's huge. It's this. Out of sheer generosity, he has put us in right standing with himself. A pure gift. He got us out of this mess we're in, which is sin, and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by the means of Jesus Christ. In Romans 8.1, it says it basically this way. The only one with the absolute right to condemn you doesn't. That should give us a tremendous amount of joy. This is not all there is. And we don't have to do this this walk, this journey of life alone. God is right there with us in it. And he's got this. Secondly, ask the Lord for a new beginning. Some time ago, okay, a few days ago, I made myself a sandwich. And a, a turkey cracked black pepper. Oh, yeah. And I got out my wheat bread and my, uh, I love, I love uh, Miracle Whip. And then I made tomato slices and, and then um, a slice of provolone cheese. And I took a huge bite. And after I took the huge bite, I noticed, I thought right away, okay, that's not right. 
And that's why I looked at the sandwich and there was this kind of rainbow blue through <laughs> throughout the wheat bread. And, and if you've ever done that, you, you don't swallow, okay? And, but here's what I want to share to you. For those of us who have gone to church for a really long time, it makes me sad because it can be true of me. Sometimes, folks, we grow stale. We're living on yesterday's fresh bread. We're not taking steps to better ourselves, to overcome any kind of issues that we have that slow us and keep us from being the guy or the woman that God created us. And, we, and the world needs us to be fresh bread. That's this great appeal of the gospel. I love these two verses and what they say. God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. And then this next verse. Let my passion for life be restored, tasting joy in every breakthrough you bring to me. Hold me close to you with a willing spirit that obeys whatever you say. That's the beauty of grace. You, you really can't screw it up. Because even when you fall and fail, even when you don't do it right, God's got your back. And he, he is always there, always there, ready to lift you up and to go again. Ask the Lord for a new beginning. And then this last one, be a bright light. Be a bright light. I was talking to a friend of mine, phenomenal musician, um, so smart. His mother-in-law has cancer. His wife, who was in my youth group, has can was in my youth group. She has cancer. He has a daughter who's really struggling, and another daughter who has has anxiety has pulled away. And he has a son, and he's concerned about him. And and in the middle of this, he said to me, Greg, he said, "You know what? What kills me is two things. The church should put to shame shame. He said the church ought to put to shame shame, because all of us carry it." And secondly, the appeal that we have who know Christ is he's got us in this and it's a done deal. And we have hope and we have joy and we can change because the Holy Spirit lives here. And in a dark and negative world, those things are bright lights a beacon that draws others. In a dark and negative world, we need to be light. And this is my last verse for you. Be cheerful no matter what. Pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. I love that. It's one of my favorite verses. That Basically, it's this. Be joyful, be prayerful, be grateful. That'll carry you. So I'm going to close in prayer. And if you were hoping I would make connect dots, <laughs> sorry. If you're hoping I would give you some things to write down that were really brilliant, insightful, uh, I don't. I'm not. I, I don't bring much to the table. But I do want you to know that God has you, and you have this thing called time. And time is ticking away. And before long, they will have you up front 
and they'll be talking about you. And will they be able to say, here is a person who celebrated life, who was a beacon of light, who had joy, who was a breath of fresh air. Because that matters. Let me pray for you. And this is from Numbers 6. It's called a special blessing from the Lord, and it's this. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. And God's people said, amen.